America's got money problems, inflation, out-of-control debt and spending, and it's only getting worse. But there's hope. Solving America's money problems, one hour at a time. It's time for Good Money with Tho Bishop. Good morning. This is Good Money with Tho Bishop. I'm the aforementioned Tho Bishop uh, with the Mises Institute. That's M-I-S-E-S dot org. If you're interested for more content like you get on this show and the mission of Good Money is to break down the consequences of the politicalization of the economy, the politicalization of the dollar, the consequence that we all as consumers in this grand economy of ours suffer as a result of the policies of the Federal Reserve, of the administrative state, of uh, other large actors out there trying to peel off layer by layer to better understand what is really impacting our pockets, our savings, and our quality of life. Now, the the main focus of the Mises Institute is promoting um, a school of economic thought called the Austrian School of Economics, um, which is named after the origin of this tradition, uh, which was the, the University of Vienna. Uh, great scholars like Carl uh, Menger, uh, Ludwig von Mises, and the like. And one of the things that I have found fascinating um, as someone who has read deeply within the theoretical framework of the Austrian school is the way that it provides different lenses to look at a variety of things that are easy to take for granted. Uh, One of the main points of emphasis of the Austrian school uh, applying theory out into the way that the policy levers of the world really works is the way, in particular, money and credit uh, which goes into the Federal Reserve, the banking system, and all that, the way that influences so much of the aspects of society that, that we, again, we, we live in on a daily basis that it's so easy to take for granted. And so we can imagine very simply how um, you know, interest rates and bank policies and monetary policy and things like that, how, how that might um, impact bank accounts, you know, how much do you get for parking money, saving money at a bank? Um, you know, what is the impact on mortgage rates, um, which can go directly to home affordability or the valuation of a house that you already own? Um, you know, the way that influences the stock market. But really, there's so much that is tied into this. I mean, think about um, uh, energy costs, uh, the way that you know, as, a, as such a foundational aspect of the economy, the, the, you know, how much we rely upon energy on a day-to-day basis, the way that uh, capital allocation, uh, to the extent that the state might subsidize certain things at the expense of other things, the way that that leads into a massive realignment, um, utilizing those large incentives uh, to, uh, to elevate certain types of energy, diminish certain types of energy, make it difficult to invest in the long term on certain types of energy, appreciating that time dynamic there and recognizing just how much that affects, you know, all, all sorts of things. 
uh, that have made life a whole lot easier to live in, particularly in a state like Florida. Well, food is a factor as well within this. And the history of, you know, I, I know you, you, can, you can kind of tell out there with, particularly after the last few years, people being skeptical of larger institutions as a result of a variety of different news items. But one of the things that I hear constantly brought up more by both people on, you know, with, within the, the bubble of uh, you know, talking about economics, uh, which I, I recognize is not an environment for everyone, um, you know, look at online discourse, look at podcast discourse, look increasingly at, at you know, the political discourse. Um, you know, you, you have people like uh, Robert F. Kennedy Jr. out there, um, you know, that has, has made issues with uh, the medical industry and, and the, the incentive issues with large corporate uh, corporatized industries and things like that. Um, and then just normal people. Um, you know, recognizing that there are issues or concerns out there with the way that food is manufactured in this country, the emphasis on the size of farms over the quality of output, the role that large-scale agricultural dynamics play and how those might be different than your mom-and-pop farmer. Um, the flip side of that is that it can be easy, I recognize, to demonize the sort of large-scale agricultural production that is played a big, big role in helping feed the world and you know, helping make America turn to a breadbasket. Um, you never want skepticism of the larger incentives at play to turn into sort of a reactionary, um, anti-progress, anti-technological anti uh, improvement style uh, dynamic there that, that has consequences in its own right. Um, but there is something to be said about the way that monetary policy in this country, um, particularly in the last 50 years or so, have directly subsidized large corporate food producers at the expense of the way that, you know, of, of local agriculture, of local of uh, you know, cow farms and other dynamics like that. And so there's an economic dynamic to, to all of this sort of stuff. Um, then there's another aspect here, which is in recent years in the way that the various larger scale agendas, right? You think about um, you know, some of the, the Davos crowd, great reset narratives out there that connect um, kind of look at the other side where they look at agricultural production, particularly when it comes to cows and, and, and animals and livestock and things like that on the CO2 issue and the way that the environmentalist concerns play into then after this incentivization for farm consolidation, there's an additional regulatory dynamic where you've seen um, in recent headlines, uh, the last few months and, and kind of ratcheting up here in, in the last few weeks issues with the way that the EU uh, is treating farmers. Um, it's become a big issue in uh, uh, 
the Netherlands, big issue throughout Europe, this dynamic of a large administrative state, in the case of Europe, based in Brussels, the same thing playing out in the U.S. Um, Thomas Massey, congressman from Kentucky, uh, has been pushed for pushing for changes in the way that America regulates uh, dynamics to the, the supply chain on the food side here in the U.S. But this is the larger problem is that the more these industries become consolidated, in part because of monetary subsidization and the way that big firms get bigger at the expense of small firms, those firms become easier to regulate, easier to control, easier to get compliance with the state. That ends up in the dynamic where we as consumers have fewer options, fewer choices. And so that's going to be our focus for the next couple segments. I'm going to be joined by my good friend David Gornoski, uh, who, who is no stranger to Tampa Airwaves. We're going to talk about fiat food culture and uh, some of the progress being made here in the state of Florida. So stay tuned on the other side of the break here on Money Talk 1010. This is Good Money with Bo Bishop. Welcome back to Good Money here on Money Talk 1010. I'm your host, though Bishop. It's a product of the Mises Institute, and the Mises Institute has a special deal for you. If you're interested in getting fascinating economic analysis covering all of the major events going on there, being able to see through the narrow lens that you so often get from the corporate press, consider getting a free, that's right, free subscription to The Austrian Magazine. It's a beautiful print magazine you can hold in your hand. Um, has great commentary from great scholars from all around the world. Always an interesting perspective that you won't get anywhere else. Again, this is a free magazine as a special deal to Money Talk 1010 listeners. And you can get your subscription at Mises.org. That's M-I-S-E-S.org slash magazine. M-I-S-E-S.org slash magazine. And you'll get a uh, copy to your doorstep every other month. That's six issues a year. And I think you'll really enjoy it if you enjoy products like this. So joining us here on this Thursday morning is a good friend of mine, no stranger to the Tampa Airwaves, the host of A Neighbor's Choice, one of my very favorite podcasts out there. Uh, you can find him on, on Rumble, variety of podcast platforms, or at aneighborschoice.com. And that is David Gornoski. David, how are you doing today? Good. How are you doing, sir? Doing great. Always Always glad to, to talk with you. Usually I'm on the other side of, of the mic here. Um, so it's great to have you on this show. And uh, we started off today, um, you know, I wanted to, to look at some of the ways in which the, the, the macroeconomic issues that uh, we cover a lot in the show, when we think about, uh, you know, Federal Reserve, we think about fiat banking, we think about large scale uh, different changes to incentives that we get from all aspects of the state and how it relates to uh, the food that we consume. And I know that you are someone who has done a tremendous amount of work on some of the consequences of the way that different incentives that the government has placed has led to different choices on the market, um, some of the health consequences of that. And that's, of course, a big dynamic to this is that the food options that we have go, you know, have a direct connection to the healthcare costs this country. It goes into, you know, there's, there's so many aspects that everything can be wrapped back down here in food. And so um, can you talk a little bit about your work and, um, you know, what, what are some of the, the biggest issues that you see out there with the way that uh, uh, the 
economic incentives the state has created has resulted in some of these consequences that a lot of people might not be aware of in terms of the American food supply. Yeah, well, you talk about the term fiat food, which is food made out of nothing, created out of thin air, and that's exactly what has dominated the American food system for so long uh, since the arrival of things like industrial vegetable oils. You may have heard them as seed oils if you're online, but for the vast majority of those listening, you've come to know them as vegetable oils. That's canola, corn, soybeans, safflower, sunflower, cottonseed oil, rape seed oil, uh, all these different products and a variety of others, corn oil, or if I said that one, these are all toxic seed oil rancid products. Uh, they weren't meant to be food, and humans in the 1900s started slowly figuring out how to defraud the public. At first, they, they started it with cottonseed oil after the Civil War. They realized that the byproduct from cottonseed or that you could produce an oil that you could adulterate and defraud the uh, customer by lacing it into your butter so you didn't have to have as much butter in the food that you sold, and that was considered a very shameful product. But with enough PR and enough corporate uh, uh, largesse behind these products and government support, eventually the United States government began to take these toxic, rancid, highly inflammatory non-food items and subsidize them and get them recommended into our food system today. And we've, ever since they've been adopted, we've slowly, well, not slowly, but really skyrocketed in our diabetes, in our heart disease, our metabolic dysfunction, all the different things that are related to issues that you or someone you know has are related to this catastrophic mistake of us listening to government, which subsidized these toxic waste products and got us to believe that they were they were food. And it started with a guy named Ansel Keys, who would be, in the economic fans' terms, he would be the John Maynard Keynes of nutritional science, right? So he's the big fraudster who's kick-started so much of what has gone wrong in the nutrition field, just like Keynes has continued to loom large over so many of the huge fraud mistakes in economics today from from your standpoint and the Austrian school that you share. So that's the starting point is that government has subsidized these extremely cheap, extremely toxic, and they're not just toxic for your, because they basically kill the mitochondria, which are your batteries and your cells. So when you have diabetes and other diseases, these are, are, are an effect of what happens when you're shutting down the energy cells, that the energy batteries in your little cells. Your cells are not able to thrive. They're not able to fight off diseases. They're not able to stay young and vibrant and high energy the more you shut down their energy sources in the form of, of running. It's basically running a toxic fuel source through that battery in your cell, the mitochondria. And so... That's the first huge starting point. And then the second one, of course, is that, you know, at the same time that we have subsidized these monocrop mass industrial seed oil productions to be, you know, soybean, that's how so much of the farmland has been converted for the use of industrial seed oil. We have also 
you know, abandoned and made it very difficult for local farmers to directly distribute highly nutritionally dense food to their local communities. Yeah, no, and all, all of that is, you know, there's, a, there's a, such a fascinating history there. And, and it's, it's always interesting. You can see the sort, same sort of beats uh, kind of play out, I think, with a lot of the, the, the big scale um, problems that we have in this country. You know, a lot, lot of, you know, usually there's some sort of, of FDR connection. Usually there's something that picks up in the 60s. Usually there's a, uh, you, you add in the, the changes into the, the dollar and the way that that creates incentives after, you know, particularly after the 1970s and things like that. Uh, there, there's so many dynamics here in which these, these large scale macro problems have, have a, such a repeating pattern with the way that we've seen the buildup of the administrative state, the buildup of the federal government that we so know and love today. Um, you know, these, these patterns of massive, massive increases. And, you know, one of the things you mentioned is, you know, the, the, the degree to which, you know, we, the, the, the you know, it, it is the, the, the direct result of very targeted subsidies to specific crops, to, you know, particular areas of agricultural production that leads to this massive demand of, okay, well, we, 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 we are subsidizing more corn. We are subsidizing the production of, of these select crops. And therefore, we have to find uses for these select crops. Um, you know, it's, it's a, you know, government creates a, a situation. They have to find solutions for it. And, of course, at the end of the day, um, you know, it is, it is certain special interests that financially benefit from it. And, at the end, and it's the consumers that end up being the ones having to navigate and deal with the consequences on what is offered in the marketplace. Um, and so people will, will blame out there, oh, well, you know, this is the, the, the consequences of capitalism. This is the consequences of, you know, whatever their particular boogeyman is. If you don't connect it right back to the fact that there are, there are deliberate policy decisions that have influenced and shaped the choices that we have consumers, as, you know, they, they, they shape the options that are there on the market. Um, you know, that is, that is not the result of, of you know, a, a, a free market being driven by profit incentives and consumer demand. There, there is a heavy hand of the state um, that has played a role in deciding exactly what has won out, uh, you know, what has the size of the marketplace that, we, that, that is out there. Um, and and that's, that's something that if, if, if we're not constantly thinking about things from an economic lens, it's very easy to get caught into other diagnoses of this problem that can result in, in even further control, further you know, additional issues that can make these problems even worse. Yeah, and it's one of those things where you have to realize that this is a downstream of a worldview problem, too, because this is kind of a Tower of Babel. Uh, attempt, right? In the, in the sense that, you know, the, the whole uh, cultural adoption of seed oils as the new fat of the future was something that was kind of a hubristic desire to say, hey, look, we don't have to eat the, the natural fats that God created that our, that our uh, ancestors and grandparents ate, like butter and uh, animal fat for cooking and, and for that kind of thing. Oh, we don't have to do that. We can create in a lab this toxic Frankenstein food, and, and, and we'll say that it's better. It's better. It's healthier. And we'll blame animal fats that people have been eating for thousands of years when they didn't have heart disease, they didn't have diabetes, they didn't have cancer like we do today. And we'll blame it. We'll blame all of those diseases on the very things that 
didn't cause those things for thousands of years. But in fact, it was the Frankenstein attempt to kind of remake nature and our image for giant corporations uh, that created this disaster of medical uh, chronic diseases just skyrocketing. And also, uh, as I pointed out on my program, uh, ha- having a high amounts of the type of toxic uh, linoleic acid, which is found in vegetable oils, uh, Professor UC, uh, uh, Professor Bruce Davis of UC Davis, uh, uh, excuse me, Bruce Hammock of UC Davis in California, he put, published a fascinating paper during the pandemic showing that those who had severe uh, bouts of of COVID in terms of acute respiratory distress were ones that had a high amount of linoleic acid built up in their body, which is the vegetable oil. So not only has the government subsidizing these toxic things done a horrible job on our uh, health uh, from, from a chronic disease standpoint, it's also set us up for extreme uh, you know, inflammatory responses to the point of dangerous death uh, like we had with uh, these acute illnesses and infectious diseases. They also are contributing extremely amount of the mental health problems that we've seen skyrocket over the years. Uh, for example, uh, they've shown studies that when you reduce the amount of omega-6 vegetable oil in the prison population, they're less aggressive, less violent, less antisocial in their behavior. So uh, you can see uh, whether it's depression. I know a friend of mine, Dr. Chris Palmer from Harvard Psychiatry, he has shown that you know when you can reduce certain inflammations, including seed oils, that you can help reduce uh, even things like schizophrenia and bipolar, uh, how many more other mental health issues are, are, are being affected by this inflammation caused by these vegetable oils. We, we've, we just begin to scratch the surface. One of the reasons why, of course, is because so much of government nutritional science, of course, is captured by special interests. So all the money, just like with Fauci, he's like a, he's like a dick that controls all the funding for his field of virology around the world and if you cross his ideas you're going to be canceled like the mafia don that he acts and tried to act like same thing goes on in things like nutrition science if you're not actively pushing for the party line which is plant-based oils plant-based goop you know and, and attacking uh things and, and always looking for a new drug uh as the main solution for diseases then you know you're not going to get any funding for your research there's no monetary flow of cash towards people who truly want to think independently and scientifically rigorous and let the facts go where they are. So that's what happens when the government monopolizes uh, the funding of science and nutrition research is that it's, it's going to go towards things that can result in a patent rather than things which are scientifically proven to be the, the best solution or explanation for a disease or something of that nature. Yeah, and that, that, that dangerous, toxic com- combination of the politicalization of, of science, you know, through, again, using basic incentives, right? You know, if, if the majority of the funding comes from uh, institutions and pools of money that directly has political ties, we shouldn't be, conf- we should be surprised when the results of that research ends up benefiting whatever the political agenda of the day. I know this is a, a big issue that we have in the economic sphere when the majority of economic research grants out there um, that are pools of funding for economists trying to do research about X, Y, and Z. The majority of those are handed out by the Federal Reserve. And so surprise, surprise, um, you know, people 
advocating for, you know, protecting or elevating the powers and, and abilities of the Federal Reserve to create new tools to manipulate credit and money in the system tend to tend to do pretty well in, in that racket. Um, then, of course, you have this entire you, you, the other other dynamic here is the, the way to which the, the propaganda aspect of the regime, um, you, you know, there, there's no consequence really to being wrong. We could think about the old school FDA food pyramid um, you know, which recommended uh, uh, you know, just just a remarkably unhealthy diet of uh, you know eleven servings of uh, of bread and pasta. Um, you know, really really diminishing the the role that that meat should play. Um, you know, the 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 way that with the, the the dynamic to which these same you know in, in the mantle of science, um, the the government promotes certain. A certain narrative out there, selling it as fact, that is then pumped into the public schools. You know, it's pumped into all sorts of children's programming and things like that, where that is going on, what is being told. That goes a major way into also affecting the way that we as consumers view these products that are subsidized by these underlying government policies. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And there's a lot of people who are trying to reverse that with regenerative agriculture. There's a friend of mine here in Hillsborough, uh, Jason, who has a farm called Regeneration Farms, and he's doing pasture-raised uh, 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 chicken, uh, chicken eggs, and, and meat chickens and with his family, and they're doing great success at markets, and I think they sell online and stuff, too. But, uh, you know, he's following a method by a guy named Joel Salad and another friend of mine who's in Virginia. He's considered to be the world's most famous farmer because of his uh, very great successful farm he has in Virginia called Polyface Farms, where he's rotationally grazing in kind of a, a, a very well thought out method, chicken and cattle and uh, uh, turkeys. He's also got pigs in his ecosystem, and he's using all of these different animals to create this kind of synergistic um, uh, return to nature, but still being able to manage it in a way that can create an opportunity for extreme successful farming. Well, I want to talk more about some of these efforts and and some of the the ways that we can combat this fiat food regime here on uh, Good Money. Um, so stay tuned on the other side of the break. We'll continue our conversation with David Garnoski here on Money Talk 1010. Welcome back to Good Money here on Money Talk 1010. I am your host, though, Bishop. And this is a product of the Mises Institute. And we've got a special book deal just for Money Talk 1010 listeners. If you visit Mises.org slash good, G-O-O-D. It will bring you up to a special two-book bundle for just $5. The two books that we have to offer are two uh, great short reads. One is How to Think About the Economy by Oklahoma State Professor Per Byland. It's a great way to kind of understand the proper economic lens to see both the seen and the unseen and to uh, de-bamboozle yourself from some of the, the narratives out there. Um, such as what is going on in the food industry. Um, the other one is what has government done to our money? This is a classic 
about the Fed, about the dollar, the history, the proper role of money in society, the consequences of uh, the government's uh, capture of money. That's by Dr. Murray Rothbard, who is one of the founders of the Mises Institute, one of my favorite all-time economists. And you can get both of these books for just $5. Use promo code GOODMONEY, one word, good money. And shipping and handling is included as well. These are great for yourself if you are someone that, that enjoys these sort of conversations. If you have a student in high school, going into college, maybe afterwards, um, if, if, they, if they're showing any socialist tendencies, these two reads are a good way to correct that. And that's Mises.org slash good promo code good money. And we are continuing our conversation right now with someone who um, knows how to think about the economy. That is David Gornoski, the host of A Neighbor's Choice, which can be found on uh, Rumble, can be found on a variety of other uh, podcast platforms. You can find him on his website, aneighborschoice.com. Uh, he has been a, a, a uh, big on, on Tampa radio for, for quite some time as well. Um, someone who I always enjoy talking to. Someone you will not find a lot on, on YouTube, though, because of conversations like this. Um, that the the censors do not like, and we have been talking about the fiat food culture we have in this country, the incentives that have been out there that have uh, distorted the agricultural uh, environment that we're living in, um, affecting directly the choices that we have and the secondary consequences thereof, which goes into some of the conversations about medical costs and things like that. And one of the interesting things from, from an economic perspective, David, is that um, you know, one of the measures that the Fed uses to inform us of inflation from a, an official lens rather than what we feel when we actually go to the store or to the gas pump is, you know, they have this, this basket of goods and their consumer price index. And one of the tools that they use is that the bundle of goods can change with um, what they call substitute goods. So if you're replacing... Um, you know, steak with with hamburger, the, that that price difference is factored into the inflation prices that are reported out there, and this goes into some of what we have been talking about. That you know, incentives matter. People are going to respond to whatever their budget is. Go to the store, make these decisions, and that's one of. And I, and I think that this has a, a tremendous amount of relevance into the way that. Governments that, uh, um, you know, look at you know, the World Economic Forum types, um, you know, those that have a very distinct interest in changing consumer behavior, um, you know, the, the sort of agendas that they are pretty, you know, pretty fragrant or flagrant in talking about um, explicitly. One of the things that they've recognized is that if you simply make certain food, certain options on the table cheaper, um, people will naturally follow that signal and consume or, or adopt these cheaper alternatives out there. And really what I find interesting, and, and this is something we, we've talked about a, a great deal, is that I, I think for the first time in a long time, the breakdown in trust in these institutions, which COVID definitely kicked off in, in a big, big way, but it's kind of been brewing under the surface a bit. You know, again, I, I could talk to my, my, my younger sister, who, um, you know, someone who is not a very political person at all, 
Um, but they are, but she is, is now very concerned. Um, she's, she's got a, a one-year-old child. And so the way that her consumer choices, where she is very careful at looking at some of these underlying issues of seed oils and the like, her choices have differed just because she has become awakened to concerns about some of these larger dynamics at play. And so, David, do you think that this this larger distrust of some of these larger institutions is is reaching a you know do do, do you sense that this is something that that people are kind of coming recognizing or are responding to in a broader way, you know? So, is, is there a positive dynamic here where you know people are being coming more aware of some of the consequences of these government policies when it comes to the food supply? Yeah, I mean, I really think that it's a staggering figure to wrap your head around, but based on the doctors and scientists that I've interviewed about the impact of vegetable oils over the last century in America, I think they're responsible for at least 90% of chronic diseases that we've had. Can you imagine that just for a moment? Like the heart diseases, the diabetes, cancer, Alzheimer's, dementia, these, if, if you did not have vegetable oils in our food system, like about, oh, at least 90% of the occurrences of these various huge killers would have evaporated. I mean, can you imagine, so what that would have done to this century if we had not gone, gone on this toxic course that is still fully invested in our society? And the way it functions is they gaslight us into, you know, and what happened, they gaslight us into, well, uh, well, it's just another dietary thing to worry about. And what happens also is that because there are so many different toxic things in the food system, when you hear about it, you kind of put it into a basket of, well, that goes on the same basket as the food dyes and this thing and this filler and this food additive and MSG, it all kind of goes into the same thing that I should generally be aware of and be skeptical of. But no, the vegetable oil really is the gorilla in the room of the all the diseases that we're having today. If you have someone you know who has heart disease, it was caused 90% chance by the vegetable oils. If you have someone... And it's not, it's, that's, the, that's the foundation of these diseases. It creates severe inflammation. All these different diseases that we are told, they're always looking for genetic solutions for them because that's where they can have endless research dollars flow to them. So like cancer is considered to be primarily a genetic disease. And that's where all the research dollars, whenever you go to the cancer research foundations and stuff and government grants, it's all about endlessly chasing after nuclear, you know, you know, things in the genetic code of, Amer- of, of humans to come up with immunotherapies that are extremely expensive, extremely uh, profitable. But what about, what about a different paradigm, which is where the great researchers, people like Dr. Michael Lasanti, who's one of the most highly researched uh, and cited Google scholars, and that's for Google scholars is just a website that holds together all the different scholars of all fields of knowledge. He's one of the highest cited scholars on Google scholar. And Michael Lasanti, another friend of mine has, he's the chair of translational medicine at Southern university in England. He's an American though, but he has shown that cancer is a metabolic disease. 
That means it's a problem of your energy. And what's related to your energy? What you eat. So everything is about that. And uh, so you, so the number one thing you should first do is take all vegetable oils out of your life. When you go get that public sandwich, make sure you don't have vegetable oils in the bread or mayonnaise added on to the sandwich today for lunch. When you go to get your, uh, you know, uh, your salad, uh, chicken salad, well, check the ingredients. If it has vegetable oils in it or tuna salad, don't eat it. Okay, get the tuna. Get your own olive oil, and you can turn it into your own mayonnaise at home, and that'll be a much better option. Or they have avocado oil mayonnaise and stuff if you need that. But, you know, that's the smart choices you're going to make right now, and you have to set that in motion. The worst type of vegetable oil is the fried, is the cooked, because it creates aldehydes on level with fat-smoking industrial cigarettes. So when you get little Johnny, a little Happy Wheel with chicken nuggets, fried and rancid seed oils. They're loaded with aldehydes and H&E, which is another. These are toxic byproducts on level with smoking cigarettes. So it's like picking up little Johnny from school and throwing him a pack of cigarettes as soon as you get them. That's how toxic. It's, in fact, worse than that. So just think about that next time you go through the drive through where little Johnny wants chicken nuggets and french fries, fried and rancid seed oils. Say, hey, I got an idea. Let's get you three beef patties. If you want a little ketchup, we get that for you. Uh, you know, get you a, a drink. You know what I mean? And, and figure out other things that are alternative ways to give you. Because children like beef patties. They're actually you know, the taste of beef, even at McDonald's, is, is sufficient to be very satisfactory to a child's taste, especially if you have inundated them with synthetic chicken nuggets as their palate. So that's the one thing. And the other thing is getting involved with your local regenerative agricultural community. Going back to what I said with Joel Saladin and the revolution that he's kick-started with his polyphase farm, he's got several books that teach you how to farm, that teach you how to maximize and make a, a significant amount of property, uh, a profit, even off of small acreage like 28. Well, and that's the thing is that in order to, to push back against law, this it requires a lot of responsibility and, and self-ownership in this. And that's something that uh, values we don't we, we, we need more of in society. So thank you, David, for everything you, you do. You can find him at a neighbor's Welcome back to Good Money here on Money Talk 1010. And uh, so, yeah, a fascinating conversation there. It's an issue that, um, you know, to be, to be honest, a lot of this stuff I had not really cared that much about. I, I knew, okay, you know, some of this stuff is bad, yada, yada, yada. Um, you know, but, but particularly as, as, a, as a new father myself, um, as someone who, who has <laughs> grown very cynical of, you know, the, the expert class, um, you know, for a variety of reasons uh, in, in this country, um, you know, it, it, these are the sort of, of conversations that, that are not always easy to have. It's always, it's one of the frustrating things. It's always difficult to find good information about this. And I, I think that's really one of the, the more foundational problems that, that we have is who can you trust? What sources of information that you can, you trust given the degree to which the incentives can put in place by you know, the access of, you know, corporate lobbying and politicized dollars and the like, um, given the, the way that that distorts the very sort of institutions of, of higher learning, institutions of research, 
that are necessary for, for having progress in this country um, or in society as a whole. Um, it's, it's, it, it can be, be, be very, very difficult. Um, and of course, this, this, these are some of the warnings that have been out there for a very long time on you know, the consequence of mixing politics and research. A lot of this again, has been a, a direct byproduct of you know, a, a, a rising size and scale of the administrative state through the 20th century. Um, you, know, you can go back to you – know, this, this was kind of the core of the progressive political revolution – in this country where, you know, we are told to that what we really need for, for good governance is a expert class making all these decisions that us as, you know, average Joes, you know, we, we, we can't understand the, the complexities of, you know, this scientific study or that scientific study. And so what we need to do is create a class of specialized experts that can make these decisions um, that has led to, you know, Congress uh, delegating a great deal of its authority into these government regulatory agencies so that they can write the rules and regulations. Um, and to be fair, you look at the quality of individual in Congress, and I can understand, you know, the, the dynamic there of, oh, I don't really want those people in charge of making big decisions in our life. I agree with that. Um, but again, simply having them make push those decisions into a unelected professional political class, largely based in a single city um, that can be heavily lobbied when you have the, the rotating door of uh, industry and regulator. Um, you know, that, that has a, a very dangerous dynamic in its own right. Um, that's why a better dynamic there is to allow more decisions to be made by to, to, to take away the powers that distort these economic incentives, to remove the role that a central bank has in dramatically altering the credit and, and uh, availability you know, with, within these firms, of pushing more of the decisions in terms of regulatory authority and things like that, at the very least outside of D.C., closer to states where you have a lot more uh, uh, – the opportunity for for disagreement amongst you know the way that Florida might handle something relative to the way that California might handle something, this consolidation of these decision making powers um, into a, a gradual monopoly that not only has this very captured dynamic of of um, you know the industry regulator dynamic going on there, but also tying the hands behind the back of state and local authorities in the way that they can try to manage these very real problems that we have. Um, that twofold dynamic is, is very, very dangerous. And I guess I started off the show, I talked about the, the issues with, with um, uh, farmers in Europe, um, where you're having uh, pressures being put in place by the EU, again, a very centralized government, um, a very bureaucratic government, um, where decisions made in Brussels are having direct impact on rural, um, you know, on, on rural communities in the Netherlands. I mean, that's that's a very dangerous dynamic there in terms of the way that um, it, it doesn't lead for, to, to good decisions. Let's just put it that way. Um, and in all of this goes into 
again, one of the, the biggest issues that we have, which is the, the gradual politicalization of all aspects of our economy. And these are issues that um, really is at the forefront of what the, the Mises uh, Institute does. Um, again, our website, mises.org. Um, we've got a, a number of articles that we come out with every day um, looking at this style of, of, of issue out there. Our front page right now has a lot of a lot of very interesting uh, topics, including um, you know the way that the you know, some issues with the, the FTC going on now um, by a, a, a great writer Gary Giles, um, looking at some of the the underlying faulty assumptions within the mainstream economics field um, from Frank Shostak. Um, then another issue um, that's that's you know some some news this week is um, again the continuing issues with the Federal Reserve, um, where uh, uh, you know Jay Powell goes in front of Congress and, and says his things. And, and um, you know, the issue here is the way that this, these powers, these authorities have had such a, the ability for these, these, these centers of power to grow and grow and grow. And we're the ones dealing with the consequences of it. And as David was mentioning, the best way to combat this um, unfortunately, these are not things that are easily solved in an election. You vote once every two years and, you know, a lever's going to be changed and all of a sudden, you know, harm, these harmful dynamics of the way the state has been built will, will immediately go away. Um, you know, sometimes changes can be made at the margins. Um, but for the most part, that is not the way that the levers of power really work. Um, at the end of the day, the best thing that we can do is to not push the responsibility of these decisions to a bureaucratic apparatus, but instead empower ourselves with the knowledge of what to look for. Use our dollars in a way to make sure that we are buying products, investing in assets that are going to serve our underlying interest, not being a passive observer in this economy. And the only way we can do that is with knowledge. And that's why economic literacy, understanding these larger dynamics is, again, at the forefront of what the Mises Institute does. If you're interested in learning more about this, again, you can find a ton of information, articles, podcasts, books, all sorts of stuff at Mises.org. This has been good money here on this Thursday morning, this Thursday morning here on Money Talk 1010. Look forward to seeing you next Thursday at 9 a.m. Outside of that, enjoy your weekend and we will see you next week. <laughs>